0: afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's always great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. A cold Wednesday afternoon, although it's supposed to be spring, we're all feeling the chills a little bit. The forecast is that from tomorrow it will clear up, so we look forward to some warm spring weather. Today, the Hebrew day today, is the 13th of Elul. 13th day of the month of Elul. And today is the Yotzat of one of the great sages... Of the 19th and 20th century, the Ben Ishai, Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, He was born in 1834 and died on this day in 1909, 111 years ago. Um, he's known Rabbi Yosef of Baghdad is known by his classic work Ben Ishai. Um, he was his parents were childless for 10 years after marriage, and finally his mother made the long journey from Baghdad to Morocco to request a blessing from the great sage, Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hatzera, The sage blessed her and said she would be give, give birth to a child who would one day illuminate the eyes of Jews everywhere. Less than a year later, she gave birth to Yosef Chaim, who grew up to become the famous Ish Both his father and grandfather served the chief, as chief rabbi of Baghdad and he inherited that position at the age of 25 And when he passed away, his son took over from him. So it was four generations of chief rabbis of Baghdad. He became one of the greatest modern-day sages. And still to this day, many of his rulings are very closely followed in the Sfadi world. In Baghdad, he was famous for giving a three-hour drosha every Shabbos for over 50 years. He authored the great ben his classic Sefer. He also authored... Other works commentaries called Rav Paalim and Ben Yehuyada, one of the greatest sages um, in the last 200 years within the Jewish world. So today is his 111th yotzat, the Ben Ish the 13th of Elul. I wanted to share with you some important ideas since we are in the month of Elul and we face, we're heading towards Rosh Hashanah um, and Yom Kippur, those awesome, high holy days, what we call the Yomim Noraim, the days of great awe. And we all need to be doing some work, doing some spiritual work at this time and getting ourselves in line for these important days of judgment. The whole world on Rosh Hashanah is judged whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. All of us are being judged by the creator of the universe. Judgment begins at, at Rosh Hashanah and is concluded at Yom Kippur. And so it's a good idea that we at least do something to address this reality, to address the situation, and to get ourselves in order to somehow put together some sort of defense for ourselves as we are all being judged. The uh, Rambam says in Hilfas Chuvah, the uh, great and holy sage Maimonides says in his classic work Mishnah Torah on the section of Chuvah, the laws of Chuvah and Perikim, in the third chapter, he quotes the famous Gemara Kedushin. The Gemara Kedushin says that everybody should view themselves as exactly half-half. Half on the side of guilt and half on the side of innocence. In other words, our track record um, is exactly in the balance. And if I do this mitzvah now, or if I do tshuva for the surveyor now, so that's going to tip the scales to the side of good. And if I do a transgression now, It'll tip the scales to the side of bad because everything is perfectly balanced. It's all half off and it all depends on this action that I'm about to do now. So the Rambam, based on the Gemara, says that this should be our mindset. Every single Jew should have the mindset that I'm exactly half off. I'm exactly in the middle. And based on the choice I make right now and the action that I do now, either I'll tip the scales in the side of favor or I'll tip the scales to the side of guilt. And so we should... Um, have that awareness And that then will motivate us To choose the good Because we know that we're going to be Changing ourselves and our whole status um, Our whole level by choosing good Because we'll tip the scale to the size of good In our record um, Or vice versa If we choose bad So that should be the mindset of every person And the Gomorrah goes on and says The Gomorrah says that we should not only view ourselves At exactly half-half We should view the entire world as exactly half off. And this one single small action now is going to tip me to the side of good and tip the whole world to the side of good. Or this transgression will tip me to the size of side of guilt and the whole world side of guilt. That should be our mindset. That should be how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And that, therefore, will motivate us to choose good and constantly to be aware of our responsibility and our ability, our opportunity to turn things around for ourselves and turn things around for the whole world. I heard uh, a talk by Rabbi Wawa Jacobson. He spoke to um, the South African rabbis on Sunday, and he said such a beautiful idea, based on this Gomorrah and this Rambam, that we often don't um, consider the importance of one single act and one single deed. And he said we can see from the coronavirus the power of one tiny small little um, particle that exists in the universe tiny tiny, how big is the is the particle of coronavirus it 's one hundred twenty five nanometers, which means that a hundred million particles of the coronavirus could fit on a pinhead one hundred million on a pinhead that 's how tiny it is, and this tiny tiny 125 nanometers of the coronavirus has brought the whole world to its knees, has changed the whole world. As we all know, that's a different world that we live in today. Who would ever have imagined such a thing? We're all preparing the shuls and the rabonim are preparing for uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is usually our busiest times, but we're limited to 50 people for min- per million, to only two hours. It's crazy. It's unbelievable that we Are in this situation, Um, and we've have our schools have been closed for over five months. We've only just opened them two weeks ago, so it's unbelievable where the world is today. And we all know how the world has changed around us. From this tiny, miniature, minuscule particle, which is um, 125 nanometers—that's how small it is—that a hundred million of them fit on a pinhead, and so we should realize. That's what the Gemara and the Rambam are saying. One small act could change our whole status. One small act could change the whole world, and we have the ability to choose to do that small act. And we see that there's we see how small acts actually have made a massive difference to everything in the world. So, for example, um, the First World War. What happened? So there was an assassination that took place in Sarajevo. One person was shot. And there was a chain reaction, and it ended up with the worldwide conflict of World War I, in which millions of people died. It was a terrible war with tremendous suffering on all sides, and it was from the firing of one bullet. And one person, got a, 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 uh, Franz Ferdinand, got assassinated in Sarajevo, and that led to all of these terrible events that resulted in the um the assassinate in in this uh, in the First World War. The follow-on from the First World War is the Second World War. Um, so those that one bullet uh, led to the events of the First World War, which uh, led to the Second World War, as we know, all the terrible suffering and pain in the Second World War. So we see one small event can have a tremendous impact on the world. We We live in an atomic age. We see that the splitting of one atom has got infinite power, infinite power of destruction, an infinite power of building With atomic energy So with the atom, one small tiny atom Is split and there's tremendous opportunity So we should remember and see That the um, power Of one act is Incredible and we shouldn't Ignore and we shouldn't um, And we shouldn't disregard The importance and the power Of one single act that we have In the world. Please stay with us We'll be back in a moment This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the importance of a single act and a single deed and how far that goes. And we recognize this tiny little coronavirus has caused such a mayhem in the world and a global pandemic. One small little deed on our part can turn, tip the scales in our favor and tip the scales in the whole world's favor. That should be our attitude and mindset of, of, of all of us as we live our lives. And one of the most important areas to consider the importance of a single deed, of a single act, of a small little um, choice that we make in terms of that deed is the way we speak. Is our speech And as we know Life and death Are in the hands of the tongue Come from the way We use our tongue We can use our mouth To build We can use our mouth To destroy And the Torah In many different places Emphasizes The importance Of guarding our tongues And of controlling Our speech The great sage The Chobetz Chaim um, Dedicated his life To Educating the Jewish people Of the the damage and the danger and the destructive power of Loshon Hora, of harmful speech, and the importance of speaking in a positive and constructive way. In fact, the Chovetz Chaim's Ziyotzat is the 24th of Elul, So the Chovetz Chaim's Ziyotzat is 11 days away. And he really brought to the consciousness of the Jewish people of Israel the importance of this um, commandment of the Torah, to God our tongues. Last night, we had a speaker. um, Every two weeks, uh, I organized together with another uh, two communities, with my fellow Rabbonim, something that we call Torah Tuesdays, which is a wonderful um, event. We used to have Torah Tuesdays in the shul, where there was a base midrash of learning. But uh, since the lockdown and COVID, so it's become virtual. It's become a Zoom webinar. And every second Tuesday night, we try and arrange a world-class international speaker to speak to the Johannesburg Jewish community. Um, and we, last night we had a wonderful speaker. His name um, is Michael Rothschild, and he is the founder and director of the Chofetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. He established this foundation in order to try and further the teachings and try and, and spread the teachings, uh, further the reach of the teachings of the Chofetz Chaim, Throughout the Jewish world. It might be familiar to us, of course, Heritage Foundation because they every year produce outstanding videos for Tisha B'Av, um, in which the world's best speakers speak about Tisha B'Av, and that's become a very successful project which is, uh, usually screened in communities all over the world. Hundreds and thousands of Jewish communities on Tisha B'Av watch the presentations of these outstanding speakers. But that's just one of many, many projects of the Chorz Chaim Heritage Foundation, and they've been very successful in bringing this message of the Chorz Chaim, which is really the message of the Torah, to the Jewish people, and emphasizing the importance of guarding our tongues and being careful with what we say, and not speaking Losh and horror. And last night he said two very powerful points that I'd like to share with you, which I think is a a good follow-on from what we've said up to now. we said the small acts, the very small deeds that we carry out have tremendous power and can influence ourselves, our lives, and the whole world in a dramatic way. And perhaps the place to start for all of us to work on those small acts is controlling our speech. The Torah tells us, we should love our fellow like yourself. Love your fellow like you, yourself. So, Michael Rothschild point, point, pointed out a very good question. He said, why does the Torah say, love your fellow as yourself? Could just say, the Torah could just say, love your fellow. Why does it have to say as yourself? It gets a bit complicated, doesn't it? I mean, the, the whole focus of the Torah is not to be self-centered and not to be fixated on our own needs and our own ego. The Torah teaches us to be giving people and to look at the needs of others and to Provide for the needs of others. The Torah tells us a successful marriage is when each of the spouses are not worrying about my needs to be fulfilled and what they need to do for me. We don't think in that way. We think about what can I do for my spouse and what does my spouse need and how can I behave in a way that will provide for those needs of my spouse. That should be our mindset. And then if our spouse does that also, then that's a that makes for a happy marriage in Shalom Bayes, which is much easier said than done. It takes a lot of hard work to be looking out for the other before oneself. So why is the Torah over here seem to say the opposite? It says, We have to the Kamocha, like you, as you, love your fellow as you love yourself. Right? Uh, there are many different explanations, and pshatim, and understandings of this beautiful verse. Um One of them being is that I heard from, uh, in the name of um, the great and holy Rav, um, uh, the, the great Rebbe of Lijensk, Rav Elimelech of Lijensk. And the Rabbi Eliyahu said, just as you, it's based on the teaching of the Balshem Tov, just as you view yourself in a healthy way and see that you have good parts and bad parts, but generally you're a good person. So the way you view yourself is the way you should view others. See them also as being good, and you know they good good parts and bad parts, but generally they are good people. That's how we should, should see others, and that's what is is the the means to love others. But listen to this beautiful pshatov that I heard from Michael Rothschild last night. He said, kamocha. The reason why the Torah says kamocha is the way you would want to be treated is the way you should treat others. And that is particularly pertinent when it comes to the way we speak. The way we would want others to speak about us is the way we should speak about others. And if we're about to say something and we stop ourselves and we think, would I want others to say this about me? And if the answer is no, so then we shouldn't say it. Isn't that a beautiful way, a beautiful measure in ensuring that we speak according to our loch, according to the way we're supposed to, according to what the Torah says, to uh, guard our tongues and not speak lashon and is that we should uh, emblazon this into our consciousness. And before we open our mouths, our big mouths, we should think, would I want somebody else to say this about me? And if, and that's v'avlarech kamocha like you. The way you would want to be treated, and if the answer is no, and we all know straight away, you know, let's say people are speaking at the Shabbos table about us, uh, about you, and even if they're not saying bad things about you, but they're talking about you, so you probably wouldn't want that. Probably wouldn't want that, and it's very likely if you the topic of conversation that somebody is going to pop up with something derogatory, or something hurtful. You know, more more likely than not, and so therefore we should apply that to others. And we should not speak about others, and certainly not say harmful things about others, those things that we would very much not want others to say about us. So I thought it's such a beautiful explanation of the Passover. have love your fellow, like yourself. In other words, if you would not want that to be done to you, don't do that to others. And that's the famous words of Hillel, and the famous Moran Shabbos, where a prospective convert came to Hillel and said, Talmidemi Torah al-Regal Achas, teach me the entire Torah on one leg. Um, which is quite a chutzpah thing to say to the great sage, Hilo. But Hilo was a very calm and very gentle, and very patient person. And he answered, and he said very simply, That which is hateful to you, don't do to your friend. And that's the half the kamocha, love your friend as yourself. In other words, that which you don't want done. So certainly when it comes to Losh and, Hora, and what we say, we should always, um, before we speak, put it through the filter. Of would I want somebody else to say this about me. And if the answer is no, don't say it. That should stop us from speaking Lush and horror, which is really something that is, which is, is, is life changing. In other words, the destruction that we cause through speaking lotion horror in our own personal lives, that's a whole another long cheer of how that works and how the Saturn operates. And the Saturn can only accuse us if we speak Lush and horror about others. Even if we've done things wrong, if we don't speak Lush and horror, there's no, prosecuting agent against that, because that's what the prosecuting agent is doing. It is opening up a file and accusing us and speaking badly about us. But if we don't speak badly about anybody, it ties the hands of the prosecuting agent. That's how it works spiritually. Um, And and that's why Lushenor is so destructive, because when we do say bad things about others, so then there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for the accuser to say bad things about us and about Qal Yisrael, about the Jewish people. So that's a bit of the depth behind why it's so destructive and dangerous. But we all should, therefore, be taking on now and ever to try and make progress in this area, this very hard area of human development and of spiritual growth, and that is controlling what we say, controlling our speech. And by, by this is the formula: by applying the formula, formula that which you wouldn't once said about you, don't say that about others. Isn't that a brilliant formula? And if we could all live. By this formula and bring it into action In our lives um, It will change our lives There's no question it will change our lives And and to control one's speech is something As Michael Rothschild said last night is something so sweet and so delicious And so beautiful And a person feels so accomplished And controlled when we do control our speech It changes our lives It will change our lives in terms of our own self-esteem It will change our lives in terms of our Spiritual record in Shemayan About how they're viewing us and what our spiritual position and situation is in Shemite. So there was a, a beautiful lesson about controlling even the small deeds and controlling our speech. And he also said a beautiful story that I want to share with you, which is the other side. Not only do we need to control ourselves not to speak in a negative, destructive way, we also need to control ourselves to speak in a productive, positive way. Rather than destroy, we should use our speech to build And when we use our speech to build, it has a very powerful impact on the world, on ourselves, and on others. When we use constructive speech and we build others with our speech, so that is a very important thing in this world, a very important light that we need to bring into the world. And he told an amazing thing. He said his mother is now 99 years old. Ayn Anharah lives in Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh. And when she was 93... He was visited her. He lives in America and she lives in, his parents live in Yerushalayim. And, um, upon his visit to his mother, his mother was a Holocaust survivor, is a Holocaust survivor. She was from Germany. The family were from Mannheim in Germany. And he said to his mother, Tell me what, uh, uh, take me back to your life when you lived in Germany. What's your first memory of living in Mannheim in Germany? And she said, I remember. This was when she was 93. I remember when I was 70, 7 years old, which was 86 years before. The first, the memory that, that is in my mind is I was walking in the street with my mother and a certain lady who actually became part of their family, her son married, uh, Michael Rostran married her, married this lady's granddaughter or something to that regard. I don't know if I got the details right, but whatever. This lady said to her mother, what a beautiful child you have. And um, Michael Rothschild's mother 86 years later remembered those words of that lady that she said that she's a beautiful child. It stayed with her for 86 years. What happened in those 86 years of, of his mother's life? Unbelievable things happened. They um, uh, That was in the year I think 19, um, 1920 I think he said. So uh, Soon Hitler came to power and the the, uh, 1927, I think it was, 1927. She was born in 1920, so it was 1927. Hitler came to power, and there was an incredible upheaval of the Jews of Germany, as we know. Um, the, the lucky ones got out, but the unlucky ones were slaughtered together with the rest of six million of our brothers and sisters in Europe. And he, uh, uh, this lady got to America just before the war. And um, she grew up with a family in America which were, they were dirt poor and they absolutely struggled and they didn't know the language and they didn't know the culture. And, you know, she, she lived a long, dramatic life. And 86 years later, she remembered what this lady said, that she's a beautiful child. Isn't that incredible? So the power of speech, the power of positive speech, the power of uplifting and building and encouraging and acknowledging – with our speech is quite incredible. And we'll see it doesn't mean that you have to be this like nice, airy, fairy push over that you're living in the clouds and everything's wonderful and good, you know, not attached to reality. That's not what the Torah wants of us at all. The Torah wants us to be with our feet on the ground. But to be control our speech, so don't use damaging negative speech um in the world because that's devastating. And build others with your speech. And any good leader, whether it's in a manager of a, of a football team, I'm a Liverpool supporter, so Jurgen Klopp is a tremendous manager, and he, he uses words very well. He builds his players and he includes the fans and he knows how to speak in a positive way. That's a great gift of a great leader. If somebody's running a business and has many employees under them, so their speech and their positive speech is what's going to motivate his employees and get them to do the job that he wants them to do in the organization. And a good politician too, using speech in a positive way and in a constructive way will help build and uplift and um, and galvanize that person's base in a positive way. So, so not only is it uh, is it just common sense to use speech properly and to speak in a positive way, but also is it's vital to our spiritual journey in this world. And if we don't speak in a negative way. And control our speech and learn to speak in a positive way so that'll build our spiritual um, souls our our spiritual record will be impacted upon greatly and very very powerfully please stay with us we'll be back in a moment this is focus on our sages with Rabbi Danny Sachstein on 101.9 high FM. Let's end off with a very powerful message, which applies to Rosh Hashanah, which is not far away. It also applies to this week's parsha. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Tzayin, Amud Beis, tells us, "Amr Yitzchak Kol Shana She Rasha Mit Es That any year, that a person is Rasha, which means lowly or impoverished in the beginning, at the end will be wealthy. What does Rashi say? She Rasha B'Tichilasa. So that's referring to the Jewish people on Rosh Hashanah. They make themselves humble and submit to Hashem with the saying of supplications and prayers. So the Gemara is saying any person who makes himself a rash, somebody who submits themselves to the prayers to Hashem in the beginning of the year, will be wealthy at the end of the year. Okay, so we need to understand that Gemara. It's a very interesting, fascinating Gemara. So the way to understand that Gemara is actually comes from this week's parsha, a midrash. The midrash Tanhuma says, with regards to parshas Bikurim, that um, when Moshe, so the the the, the parsha begins with Bikurim. What are Bikurim? Bikurim were it's an a, a commandment from the Torah. The beginning of this week's parsha, parsha Kisabo. That when the first fruits emerge on the trees, so the farmer needs to mark off the first fruit. So as the blossoms come out, the first blossom on each tree, the farmer must take a red, um, a red piece of material, a red piece of cotton, a, a elastic band, or tie it around that first blossom. And when that fruit ripens, the first fruit ripens, so the Farmer must put it aside and bring it up to the base of Migdash at the end of the harvest. And that's usually done Shvuz time, which is the harvesting time. So all of the first fruits of each tree are put aside. They put in a basket and baskets and they brought up to the base of Migdash. And the Bikurim ceremony was one which was very powerful. Um, there, there was a, a, a great a fanfare made of it and there was music and there was a whole procession and the farmer um, would then present his first fruits, his basket of first fruits to the coin in the Beis HaMikdash and make a whole declaration which is um, which is listed, which is told to us in the beginning of this week's puncture. So the Midrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the Beis HaMikdash would be destroyed. So you can only bring Bikurim when we have a temple when we have a Beis HaMikdash. Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the Beis HaMikdash would be destroyed and he therefore instituted the davening of shacharis, mindcha, and mairet, the three tefillas that we daven. So every Jew is obligated. Um, a Jewish male is obligated. A Jewish woman, it's voluntary. She's not obligated, but it's a—it's uh, recommended to daven three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. So the question is, what has bikurim got to do with davening? What has the destruction of the base of and therefore the inability to bring the bikurim got to do with Moshe instituting, davening, morning, afternoon, and evening. So, the answer comes from a Pasuk in this week's Pasha. In fact, the Pasuk upon which this Midrash is brought. The Pasuk at Shlishi, in the, the third aliyah of the week's Pasha says, So, this day, Hashem has commanded you to do all of these laws and all of these commandments. What does Rashi say on those words? So it's Pasuk Tes Zain. So Rashi says, Pasuk Tes Zayin, the following. You need to find the Pasuk in Rashi. Here we go, Tesayin. The Midrash Tanchuma says that this day, every day, the mitzvah should be like they are. Oh, were commanded this day. In other words, they should be exciting, they should be fresh, and they should be exhilarating, and they shouldn't be stale. The day the mitzvahs were commanded, when something new happened, and something new that's dramatic, it's powerful, and it makes an impression on us, and it's fresh and it's exciting. We know that about many different things in our lives, especially now we've been in lockdown and we've been limited to our homes for months. And when we have our first guests over, or when we go to school for the first time, or when we go to eat out for the first time, it's very exciting. It's new again. It's fresh again. But when we have been doing that every day, it loses its excitement of freshness. So Rashi says that the Bikurim represent that newness, that freshness, and the mitzvah should be fresh and new. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu instituted the davening when Bikurim, Bikurim would no longer be, when we wouldn't be able to do the Bikurim. So the Sfas Emes is such a beautiful idea. The great Sfas Emes, was the Hasidic Rebbe of the Gera Hasidim in Poland, Sfas Emes says, so why is the Bikurim so important, because the Bikunin is righteous, it's the beginning. The beginning is central, because if at the beginning we acknowledge that it's come from Hashem, and it's not me, so that puts us in a whole different mindset, a whole different world. In other words, that we should realize how powerful that is for a farmer. A farmer who's plowed the ground, who's planted the seeds, who's watered the plants, who's harvested what he's spent many, many hours of hard blood, sweat, and tears over this crop. And now, finally, it produces the, the the fruit, the crop, whatever it is. And he then has the capacity to say, it all comes from Hashem. It's not me. It's not Teva. It's not nature. This is all a blessing from above. The farmer who does that is tapping into spiritual reality. And that's very hard to do because we live in a physical world and the material world. And it's quite easy for us to disregard the spiritual element to each part of our lives and to lose ourselves in the physical and just to be operating in a very materialistic, physical, single-dimensional plane. But to be able to at the outset acknowledge that this is from the blessing of Hashem. This whole world is Hashem's world and the fact that my, I've got produce and the fruit has grown and the produce has grown, that's a gift from Hashem. That's min Hashemim, that comes from above. So that's something I need to acknowledge Hashem for. And when I acknowledge Hashem, so I live in a different world. I now tap into spiritual reality, into eternity, and I'm not limited to this physical material world, which is a very powerful idea. We've explained upon it briefly when we return after this break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the concept of Bikurim, which means the Sfasa MS says recognizing that it comes, that all comes from Hashem at the outset, at the beginning, at the start you see it was not me but it was Hashem. When a person is able to do that, they then tap into a spiritual world and a spiritual reality and that counters the normal fading and waning and deterioration of the physical world. The makeup of the physical world, the normal natural, um, the natural process within the physical world, is that things get old and things age and things deteriorate with age. That applies to everything, and Hashem shows that shows us very clearly with everything in the physical world, whether it's our physical bodies or whether it's our cars or our homes or anything physical, deteriorates as time goes on. It's only the spiritual world that remains fresh and remains new and remains exhilarating and doesn't fade and doesn't get old and tired. And so that's why the Bikurim, when a Jew gives the first fruits and dedicates them to Hashem, it's not just saying thank you to Hashem, it's acknowledging that the world is Hashem's world. Hashem created the world and everything in it is by the grace of God, is through Hashem's blessing. When we tap into that reality, so then we tap into the spiritual world. And that's a world that doesn't deteriorate and doesn't get old. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the Bikurim, would come to an end, instituted tefillah. Shachariz min the davening, because through the davening, we're also supposed to come to this realization. We start our day by davening to Hashem. First thing we do, we're not allowed to do anything else before we daven. Not allowed to eat before we daven, not allowed to get involved in business before we daven. We shouldn't exercise before we daven. We should daven immediately. First thing we do, because we're setting the foundation of the day. The basis and foundation of the day is to recognize that this is a new day. It's a fresh day. It's been recreated by Hashem. This is Hashem's world, and we are here to serve Hashem in the world. And likewise, Mincha is the beginning of the afternoon, and Maariv is the beginning of the evening. The three stages in the day each begins without the with without davening, acknowledging. That it's God's world, and when we do that, we then supersede the deterioration of the physical material world, and we enter into a new realm. And that's why the pasuk says that you be anecha that the mitzvah should be new, should be like new, or every day, each day. If we're tapping into a spiritual reality, so it's a whole fresh, new, exhilarating world. It's not old and stale and tired. So that's the bikurim, and that's davening. And that's the power of of being connected to the spiritual world. And that's why we started by saying that the Gemara Rosh Hashanah says that if we begin the world as a rush, so that it will end, it will be, we'll enjoy a a wealthy uh, year. At the end of the year. In other words, we lowly by davening to Hashem at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah and acknowledging the world as Hashem's so then it won't get old and stale. Hashem's presence will be with us and the well of Hashem doesn't dry out. The well of Hashem continues to flow and doesn't diminish. Whether with regards to the material existence in this world and whether with regards to our spiritual existence. If we tap into the well of Hashem, it's constantly refreshing itself and ongoing. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.